Hello and welcome to The Sharpening Report. I am your host, Josh Peck. Today we welcome returning guest Brian Gadawa to discuss his book, Moses, Against the Gods of Egypt, and the accompanying research companion, The Spiritual World of Moses and Egypt. Brian, how are you doing today? Great, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming back on. It's been a little while. And, you know, I was thinking about this today. It seems like every time I go on a hiatus, actually, you might not, I, I forgot to tell you this. This is the first uh, interview I've done since I've, I was on this like three month hiatus because I was uh, working on Skywatch stuff and then there was the holidays. But it seems like every time that happens or every time there's some new change at Sharpening Report, you're always the first in line for the new, <laughs> whatever the new thing is. So, <laughs> so I'm we, a guinea pig. So. Yes, you are. Well, I mean, my very first video interview was with you, and then I, I never went back. I mean, it's uh, it's it's great. I've I've never went to audio only again. But um, so glad to have you back. Glad to have you back. And um, what these two books? This is a little unique because you have both a fiction and a nonfiction book, but they're both dealing with the same topic. Can you give us a brief background on on both books and tell us what you found beneficial about releasing both a novel and a research guide? Yeah, well, um, Moses Against the Gods of Egypt is the next is the latest novel in my Chronicles of the Watchers series. And what Chronicles of the Watchers is, it's very similar to my best-selling Chronicles of the Nephilim series, um, where I'm retelling historical stories. Uh, um, most of them are, are Bible stories still, but eventually I'm, I'm going to expand out. Um, and retelling historical stories with the context of this Watcher paradigm, the idea of, you know, the... Um, the spiritual powers, principalities and powers over the nations and, and what that might look like. And so that's the fictional element. But um, and, and what happened was there were a few there's a few Bible stories that I didn't get to in my Chronicles of the Nephilim, uh, like Jezebel. I, I just did that one in Chronicles of Watchers and now the Moses story. And it kind of fits in 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 the midst of the series of Chronicles of the Nephilim, if that makes sense. And so, um, but in the course of these series that I've been writing, I've always written a, usually like in the Chronicles of Nephilim, I would write an appendix and I would write about the biblical and historical research behind the fiction that I was writing because I felt that, you know, I was doing some wild stuff, you know, obviously. And, and I wanted Christians to know that this isn't just, you know, made up stuff. It's, it's rooted in, you know, understanding ancient Near Eastern uh, worldview as well as the biblical worldview and how they mesh together actually a lot and, and sort of to help educate. And, and plus, because when you're retelling Bible stories, you know, Christians have a high view of, of the scriptures and they don't want you to be playing with the word of God. And I respect right. that. So, you know, I did that. And, and, but as, as, as the years went on, my appendixes, my appendices, appendices, my appendices would grow. And I, I realized I got to the point in this new series. I'm like, you know what? I love doing the research and I'm just, it, it wasn't much more work for me to do, to do a little bit more, more and, and make, the appendix into an, a book itself, a full, you know, almost 200 page book. And, and that's where I realized, well, look, I'll just split the two up. And then those who, you know, and then as you read the novel, I explain, Hey, look, if you want to get the research, get this other book. And, and so it's sort of that expanding world because also the novels have expanded in many ways. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I don't think they're getting too verbose, but what happens is I'm kind of taking on some bigger projects, like, of course, The Life of Moses, you know, whereas my previous novels are a little bit more focused on, in terms of time period, the Moses novel, Against the Gods of Egypt, covers 
roughly his whole life, you know. Um, and I, I take that back, you know. Uh, it, it, it covers uh, roughly from his birth until they go to Mount Sinai and, and launch on their way towards Canaan. And then, um, yeah, so, so uh, but it's funny, too, because the, 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 the material that I write, the biblical research material, actually is amongst my best-selling material as well. So, um, yeah, it's like my, my – I, I, in Chronicles of the Nephilim, eight novels, I took all the appendices from all of them and put them into one book and called it When Giants Were Upon the Earth. And that is literally my best-selling book of wow. all time. And, and Noah is my first novel, and that's a, a close, close behind, right? But, but it's just amazing to me because I didn't realize, you know, and, and of course that's what introduced me into this, into the world where you are a part of. And, you know, uh, thus we've talked about giants and watchers and Leviathan and all that stuff. Well, I'm still going on it with my novels, and I, you know, I'm, I've got like, um, I don't know, well, let's see, eight, uh, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, three, about fifteen novels uh, based on this paradigm of the Watcher paradigm and the Divine Council, and and you know, I didn't think that there would be so much material that would maintain such interest for so long, and it just, it's exciting, you know, and the and the latest one, whoa, it goes even more, you know, I I had thought that. You know, um, you know, sometimes you get to the point where, well, I have, you know, have I, have I done it all already? You know, have, <laughs> I, have I written about all the bizarre, cool stuff in the Bible? And then you start doing some deep research, like into Moses' life, and you realize, oh, 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 no, there's a lot more yet to come, you know. <laughs> that, so. that's, that's amazing. And, and what's so cool is you bring in a, a variety of characters, obviously Moses, but you also have Zipporah, Janice and Jambres, the Amalekite giants. Uh, but you all, obviously, you base this all on <clears throat> biblical truth. What most interests you about the individuals who the characters are based on? Yeah, well, that's true because, you know, obviously when you're, when you're approaching these stories, they're full of characters and you have to focus, right? And yeah. you have to pick. Yeah, so, so um, one of the things is, is that I decided, when, actually when I started the whole series long ago, I decided that, you know, I, I, I respect and even appreciate to a large degree what a lot of modern storytelling has become where it's, you know, there's, there's a, a focus, the protagonists and stuff, there tends to be a focus on um, sort of minor characters, maybe in, a, in like if you're going to do a historical event, they'll, they'll focus on a minor character rather than the major historical character. And, you know, they, I think there's the desire to, to connect with the common man or something. I don't know. Um, maybe they feel like the old he days of writing hero stories is sort of old and classical, right? And and we want more, uh, what do they call it, um, flawed, deeply flawed protagonists, this kind of thing, you know. And I'm like, you know, I want to go back to the classic hero. And so all of mine are the big heroes of the Bible, Noah, Abraham, and of course now Moses. And, you know, that makes it difficult because people are so familiar with the story, right? And so my choice of, of who to focus on uh, first was, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the big the big hero stories, right? I'm gonna, and and it's a challenge because people know so much about them. So how can you come at something with something fresh? Well, one of the biggest things that I discovered, at, I mean, that I continue to to discover as I study. I, same thing with Jezebel, you know, all these these heroes of the faith. Well, the truth is, is they were very flawed. Yeah, you don't have to be a modern anti-hero. 
<laughs> to have a very flawed character. And while some Christians, very few, but I, I, there's still a lot who sort of feel like, you know, you're, you know if, you, if, if you show Noah as being a sinful man, you know, you're like, the Bible says that Noah was, uh, was pure, you know? And it's like, well, you know what? Uh, he was still yeah, human. Got, <laughs> yeah. But then it also said he got drunk. You yeah. Know? And it's like, same thing with David, right? The man mm. after God's own heart who, <laughs> uh, you know, murdered, committed adultery, right? Yep. So you can, you can be a faith, you can be a man of faith and, and, and be praiseworthy, but you're still a sinner. And so Moses was one of those characters where we're very, we're very, uh, indoctrinated by the, you know, the 1957 movie with Charlton Heston. <laughs> and, uh, and look, I know, I know many people these days, Many young people probably have never seen the movie, but it's I think it's still one of the most for, for some reason, one of the most influence influential sort of uh, understandings of Moses, because it even influenced me. I love Charlton Heston. Right. But this whole thing of, you know, this, you know, let my people go. You know, he's got that <laughs> awesome Shakespeare voice and stuff. Well, my understanding as I studied Moses was he wasn't like that. Mm. In fact, Moses had a stuttering problem. Yeah. And the Bible actually says that. And when you look at the, you know, he talks about, I'm not a man of eloquent speech. I'm uncircumcised of lips. You look into the Hebrew of that, and it's not just saying like, oh, I don't speak well. It's literally saying I have a speech impediment. And, and, and what that was is you look elsewhere in the Bible, that same language is used when it's referred to stuttering and such. Wow. So imagine a Moses who's a stutterer, right? Yeah. But also... Uh, you know, he had major anger problems, and, and, and it's there in the text. You know, he, he hits the rock rather than speaking to it. But, but it's very subtle, and, and you, you, as you read it closer, you see his, even his reactions to God are very sort of belligerent, you know? Right, yeah. And so here's a man with an anger problem. And what I came to realize was, or as I was reading through the text, I started thinking, you know, one of, one of the unique, maybe the unique aspects that I hope to bring to this is um, – Imagine, think about this. Moses is a man. Is a, is a man who who was his original father is not even spoken of. Just mm-hmm. that, just his name, right? Yeah. But nevertheless, his original father gives him up. Um, you know, they're trying to save him, but nonetheless, he never meets his original father when he's born, right? And he's they put him in the river and etc. And and the the mother keeps up with him, but there's no mention of his father Amram. Then he's adopted by a fa- a pharaoh as a father, right? And then eventually he finds out the truth of his identity. He's not that who he is. And then that father, you know, tries to kill him, you know, for what he did. Then he flees off to Midian and he meets Jethro, a Midianite man who becomes his uh, a father figure. He's, he, he actually had a great relationship with him, right? But then he has to leave him and go back to Egypt. And, and this whole time the Bible never mentions his original birth father, you know. And I, I was starting to think... What what did that man? How did that man struggle? You know, with mm-hmm. never being the father there that Moses needed. And it's not even a criticism of him because, like I said, he saved him by giving him up to the Nile, right? But yeah. but still, there's there's ramifications on that. And and so I saw a, a man without or struggling with father issues. You know, because yeah. he never really had a true father, and yet. Think about it. A large, a large part of the story is, I think, it's not explicit in the text, but, but it's Moses discovering what we all have to discover, which is Yahweh is our ultimate 
father. Absolutely. And he is the father that our earthly fathers can't be anyway, right? Yeah. So those that was some of the issues that I found I, I found very personal and fascinating about Moses. But then you think, okay, well, what about the other characters? Well, you know, sort of the, the one, I think the, the ones that sort of become the most important are the ones that tend to have the most impact on the meaning and themes of the story. So I do have Miriam and Aaron in there because they're, because what I saw in Miriam and Aaron was here are here's a brother and sister who were given very powerful roles of responsibility, you know, high priest. And she was a prophetess mm-hmm. in that day and age. That's kind of odd, right? And yet, and yet there was a time where they got so jealous of Moses that he, you're not the only one who speaks for God, right? That's fascinating to me and that's also something i can relate to you know <laughs> when you see other people god blessing other people or sometimes you know it's the salieri effect you know like from amadeus you know, Mozart, yeah. where it's like you know how come you bless them but not me that type of thing yeah uh but then there's zipporah so zipporah of course you have to have a romance yeah and so <laughs> uh but here's the interesting thing um there's one verse in the bible where where it says that that Aaron and Miriam get mad at Moses and they accuse him. Well, this is, you know, you, you got a lot of these problems because you married a Cushite wife. <laughs> and you're like, well, who is that Cushite wife? The only one that's mentioned is Zipporah, but she's Midianite. Mm-hmm. And Cushite is actually a name. Cush was south of Egypt. They were perpetual, I wouldn't say perpetual enemies, but perpetual um, adversaries. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, they would trade with each other, but then they would have times of history where they would battle back and forth. And anyway, um, it's basically Ethiopia. So that's a black oh, uh, woman, right? Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of <laughs> relevant in today's world. You know, yeah, I mean, I yeah. thought that was interesting, interracial marriage. But here's the problem. Uh, um, Zipporah, Midian is, is, is the opposite side of the world. So mm. did he have more than and one wife, and if he did, how come that we, she was never mentioned, right? Right. So these are some issues, and by the way, that's just the tip of the iceberg, or the tip of the pyramid of the amount of issues that I had to find controversial issues. We can talk about those next. Um, you know, the historicity and all that kind of stuff yeah. of the Exodus. But um, but Zipporah. So so you look in the scholarship, and there's several possibilities. One is that uh, he married a Kushite wife, and she died in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. It's interesting because I found a, uh, a I, I want to call it legendary, but a legend, but it's written by two different ancient Jewish historians, Josephus and Artapanus, mm-hmm. both ancient. And it's a story about Moses that's not in the Bible. And um, I don't want to say legend because then that makes it sound like it's, oh, it's false, but it's not <laughs> necessarily. It might be, but... But the point is, is they may have had access to ancient literature that we no oh, longer yeah. have. In fact, they did. They yeah. did, right? So, um, and there's the story that where Moses was uh, a general of the of Pharaoh, and some interesting things about that. But anyway, he was a real smart, and he he was uh, took the Egyptian army and went south to conquer back the Egyptian lands that Cush had been taking. Oh, wow. And he went to the head city, which is probably Kerm at the time. And there's a story about how, also there's this cool story about how, that I put in the novel, about flying snakes and <laughs> Moses countering the flying snakes. You know, the seraphim <laughs> that you hear about in the Bible. Yeah. Well, there's an additional story that they were in Egypt 
and um, and how he and he he had this brilliant plan of how he overcame because they were venomous and how's the army going to get through with all, all these snakes, right? So I put that in there well as well. But then also, when he when he surrounds the city, the siege of Kerma, this capital city, the the princess of the city sees him from the city walls and falls in love with him. Okay, it's like, it's like love at first sight, you know? Yeah. My editor's like, when I, I, you know, I wrote this in there, my editor's like, this is like Disney. I love it at first sight. I said, well, look, it's ancient literature, man. I'm just following the storyline, you know? Yeah. Anyway, she falls in love with him, and they get married as a treaty between Cush and Egypt, see? Oh, wow. And, of course, if she's a Cushite princess, Maybe she's the the black woman, you know. Yeah. And but there's a problem here because when he leaves into the desert, why, why would he leave his Kushite wife? Number one. Yeah. Um. Uh. To to you know because if he was wanted, he, she would be punished, and if he brought her with him, which is what he, because he was leaving Egypt for good as far as he was concerned, right? Right. Why would he? Leave her? He wouldn't leave her. But then if he brought her, why would he? Why would it talk as if he's completely alone? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh. You know. So anyway. Um, I, I won't explain how I solved that, but I came up with a cool, some cool stuff also rooted in some other legendary stories about Moses from ancient historians about how Moses, there was an attempted assassination on Moses before he left, actually. Oh, wow. By the, yeah. So um, and then the other thing is, is, well, there's a possibility that Zipporah, maybe, you know, since Midianites are trading nomads, maybe he could have a, a second wife who's a Cushite wife. And uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm, Jethro, I'm speaking about right. Jethro, right? And maybe Zipporah could be one of his seven daughters of a second wife that uh, she could be Cushite. And she could be called Cushite because she's black and that's how they see them, you know. So that's possible too. So there's all these different possibilities. And as, as a you know, storyteller, I have to integrate those and ha try to make sense of, of all of them. And, and those are fascinating. And I, I love romance anyway. So there's, um, there's a, a, a long-distance romance that says Moses goes back to Egypt, leaves Zipporah. There's them falling in love in Midian. So these were, you know, I want to write an entertaining story. So yeah. it's just as important to me as the theology. It really is. And so I, I try to choose those characters that will be entertaining, interesting themes, and uh, et cetera. So um, two, of the, two of those main characters in, in the novel are also characters who are sort of legendary, and that you mentioned them already, Janice and Jambres, and I'll, yeah. I'll end with these two characters, because I think your audience would like this. Mm -hmm. So, in the Bible, the magicians of, of Pharaoh are never named. As a matter of fact, in Egypt, they, the magician in, in English is the sort of the Hebrew word for the Egyptian word lector priests. Mm. So they weren't, they weren't you know, they're called magicians from the Hebrew worldview because they did magic, and that's true. But they were much more than that. They were lector priests of, like, the you know, the Temple of Ra. So they had a lot of responsibilities. It wasn't oh, okay. like the magicians going around, you know, <laughs> doing sleight of hand and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> so, um, but but magic was a very important, integrated wor part of the Egyptian worldview. And they really did believe in the power of words and formulas and I did all this study on it, and I put it into the novel, too, where actual formulas of, of things that they would say, you know, to conjure up and such. But it's not so much like the magical, magical abracadabra so much as they believed in the power of the word because their gods, Ta, Ptah, or other gods, 
uh, created the war. They had very many different myths, but one of them was that pata created by speaking forth. And so they believe that if you got the right words, you you'd be able to get the gods to do what you ask them. And um, but also spells and incantations were about that same thing. You know, in mm-hmm. other words, if someone's sick, I can transfer that sick sickness into a little figurine so that they can get well. But it's interesting. They weren't obviously they were quite advanced civilization at the time. So they they had a difference between medicine and magic. They did both kind of like. You know, not too different from the way religious people today. Yeah, we pray, but we have doctors, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, and they had the same thing. And they, you know, so they they had a difference of of between epilepsy seizure versus a demon possession. They they, mm-hmm. you know, we may disagree with where they drew the line, but they had a difference. And so anyway, the magicians are never named, but in the book of one of the book of Tim, Second Timothy, I think first or Second Timothy, Paul mentions the pre the uh magicians of pharaoh and he names them as janus and jambres that's the yeah. only place nowhere else in the old testament are they named janus and jambres so mm-hmm. where did paul get this right yeah well there's all kinds of theories and and um uh but suffice it to say that there is a ancient pseudepigraphal book called janus and jambres oh wow and it tells their story their side of the story of sort of their encounter with moses but also they were brothers who um one actually repented or you know saw that you know no this god of the moses we we should turn and the other one didn't so it's kind of an oh, interesting wow. yeah an interesting um dramatic uh journey there and they come they have a, a a hebrew background so you know they became egyptian magicians with this hebrew background wow. so i i incorporated a whole storyline of janus and jambres from their perspective as they go through their life and and interact with the Egyptian worldview and such, and then how they ultimately encounter Moses and stuff, and so that was you know, I, yeah. So I love to I love to draw from ancient literature, and one of the other things that I do is I drew from the ancient Egyptian mythology. So one of the other factors in all of the, my novels that I do is. I like to bring home the worldview, the pagan worldview that Israel is interacting with. Mm-hmm. But think of it in this way, though. Egypt, or Israel had been in Egypt for 400 or more, 480 years or something right. like that, right? So, and the complaint was that a lot of them had fallen away and they didn't even, many didn't even know the name of Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there's this very, they've been very heavily influenced so they thought this way too, not the least of which is Moses, who was raised as an Egyptian. He doesn't even know Yahweh's name until the Mount Sinai at 80 years old. So right. this is fat, right? Well, anyway, um, so what was this Egyptian worldview like, like and how did it influence the way they saw the world and saw things? And so I, I tried to study the mythology and all the gods and boy. They have a lot of them. <laughs> Egypt had a lot of gods, and they had a lot of m- myths, and a lot of them were contradictory, you know, because basically they weren't based on logic. They were based on explaining things, and they didn't care if, you know, they switched, got, swapped gods out with each other at different stories and all this kind of stuff, because the point of it was to to tell the truth um, in a in a spiritual way that could make sense to them. Well, anyway, you know, they also had a view of the underworld, 
And, you know, the, you know, those of us who know the Bible, you know, know Sheol or Sheol, right? Mm-hmm. And the Egyptian name for it was Duat. Oh, okay. And it was different. Than, there were similarities, obviously, because they all believed in a underworld. But the Egyptian world was, was unique and had its own kind of version of that and what happens to you and how you, you ultimately, when you die, you start your, on your journey on the river Vernus, Vernus in, in the underworld towards the, the judgment hall of Osiris where your heart is measured against the feather of justice. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole worldview that I was able to bring into the story through a vision type type um, context mm-hmm. to show this Egyptian worldview and how it interacts. And then, of course, there's the spiritual reality. I have the angels and demons, the watchers and, you know, the archangels. And, mm-hmm. and so I, tr- I tell a story that, that okay, if one of the one of the things that boy i'm just rambling on here i hope I oh hope you're fine okay. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> so uh the gods and the gods and stuff so it was fascinating though it it really is fascinating i mean i'm very genuinely curious about all these different gods of various nations and especially when you start to think that there might be a spiritual reality behind them and it, it kind of makes it more interesting and, you know i know Derek gilbert has done a lot of writing on this stuff um as well down that path and so it does make you curious and interested but in contrast to Israel, because ultimately, obviously, the, Israel's God is the God above all gods. But um, <clears throat> one of the one of the reasons why I wrote this novel, why I realized I had to go back, and you know, in my Chronicles of Nephilim series, I wrote Josh a book about Joshua's conquest, yeah, and Caleb after that. And I, why didn't I write Moses? Well, at the time, there wasn't any giants in the Moses story, and I was kind mm-hmm. of focusing on stories in the Bible where there was a mention of giants. Uh, or watchers, you know, and but I was a little wrong because, um, well, there were certainly watchers, but I just didn't see it at the time, and I was focusing on other stuff. So the thing that inspired me was to to write the novel was Exodus twelve twelve, where you know God's talking about the judgment, the plagues, and He says, "I will, I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt." Yeah, and I'm like, well, you know, that's interesting within our understanding and paradigm this isn't just a i will metaphorically wage war but it's like well there's some spiritual demonic reality behind these gods so what would that look like right and that's where i realized there's a lot of watches here because i'm thinking these plagues the power of the plagues related to the gods well that's not it's not so simple but before i i step there i just wanted to address the fact that um also the thing about the giants was um yeah there was no outward mention of giants but as I studied the story, I realized that when the after the Exodus had occurred and they're on their way to Mount Sinai, they had an interaction with the Amalekites, Amalekite roaming tribe of nomads, right? Mm-hmm. And the Amalekites, they're actually there's you know it's just it's the one where Moses holds up his staff and they're winning and he lowers it and they're losing that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, but the interesting thing is is that there are some passages in the Bible where the Amalekites are linked to giant tribes. Now, it's not like um, the Zamzumim, the Anakim, and stuff like that, because they're a normal tribe of nomads. But there's one passage in Genesis 14, I think it is, with the Battle of the Five Kings, was it, or Six Kings? And that was like in Abraham's day where these kings came, and it, and it, and it talks about them conquering all these giant clans in the days of Abraham, right? Mm-hmm. So the Zamzumim, the Rephaim, the Anakim. 
but it also mentions and the Amalekites, you know. So, so there, I think that the context of that is that probably giant clans and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I realized that there might have been a giant connection there that might have been going on. And secondly, I study... <clears throat> so I'm, I'm following this Egyptologist named David Roll. We could talk yeah. about him because he affects who's the pharaoh of the Exodus. But, <laughs> but one of the things that he's, he's uncovered is there was, there's, there's been um, a scarab, which is sort of a... Uh, like um, kind of like a seal, you know, mm. in found in jo in uh, Jericho oh, during wow. the times of Joshua that had the name of Sheshai on it, huh. and of course <clears throat> Sheshai is one of the three Anakim giant brothers that are mentioned multiple times in the book of Joshua. And my novel Joshua Valiant has those brothers Sheshai, Talmai, and um, Ahiman. Mm -hmm. And so, and but of course, David Roll is not a believer. He doesn't believe in in the giants. But he makes the argument that Sheshai, because in the, there's an Egyptian connection there, Sheshai may have been part of the Hyksos tribes that invaded Egypt after the Jews left, and um, because they were they were also Semitic tribes, and that he may have established the bulkhead there in in the Goshen. And they established a worship of Baal instead of Set, and then he and then came back to to Canaan, right, mm -hmm. where you've got the evidence of him. So that was really fascinating. So Sheshai is a giant in my stories, and I thought, okay, there's there's another way in that I can write. So I, I have Sheshai appear, uh, or, you know, in in the story, you know, so so you. There's sort of like a melding of characters from the Nephilim series. And, um, yeah, so, so that's some of, some of the material behind the storytelling. But, you know, we can also talk a little bit about the, the historical archaeological stuff, if that's what you're interested in. Sure, yeah, and, and, uh, and I definitely wanted to add, because you mentioned uh, something about the Ten Plagues, and one of the most fascinating parts of, uh, of your book, the research part, uh, was making a connection to the creation account in Genesis. But before we get to that, we are going to switch over to members only for the rest of this interview. But before we do, uh, for people watching for free, uh, Brian, what would you want most for the audience to take away from your books? Well, look, um, you can get all my material at Amazon.com in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. Most all my books are. And there's a lot, you know, you can go there and find everything on me if you want. But if you want to go in, even more in depth, go to Gadawa.com. That's my name, Gadawa.com. And I have lots of material about everything I'm writing and freebies and articles and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, so I'm writing these books to inspire a greater love for the scriptures that people will see it through fresh eyes and see the divine counsel paradigm, the watcher paradigm to understand the Bible within a, a bit more of that context, which gives it a new fresh look, not, uh, not a Gnostic new, you know, <laughs> secret knowledge, but more it's in plain sight, but we just didn't have the eyes to see because we were focused on our modern view instead of the ancient Near Eastern view. So I want people to, to get back to seeking to understand the Bible within the ancient Near Eastern context because it will answer a lot of our modern doubts and questions that we have about the Bible, like science and all that kind of stuff, and history and all this, understanding, understanding it through their eyes. And so my novels are a way of incarnating that 
so that you get it through entertainment as well as facts melded together in a way that, ah, oh, okay, so that's, that's how I, I, I can now understand the picture from a, a different perspective. And I've had many people tell me, Brian, you know, you've given me a fresh appreciation for scriptures. I'm going back and I'm rereading these stories and appreciating them anew. And so that's, that's been my, my goal all along. That is, that's absolutely fantastic. And I've heard the same even from some of our own audience uh, whenever we have you on that uh, your books have had that impact. So that is, that is excellent. Anybody who has not checked out Brian's books, I highly suggest you do so. Okay, we are going to go to members only. So if you don't yet have a membership, head on over to dailyrenegade.com, sign up, and you will get the rest of this interview, plus full versions of every show we produce, including hosts such as Gary Wayne, Brian Melvin, Pastor Mike Spaulding, and so much more at dailyrenegade.com. All right, members, hang on the line. Everyone else viewing for free on YouTube, Rumble, or elsewhere, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. God bless.